Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their story. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey, everybody. Today I'm here with Ronita. Ronita Overton is an author, rapper. By the way, you're the first rapper I've ever had on the podcast. So that's really cool. (laughs) Orator, activist, and advocate. Ronita grew up on the tough streets of Southeast Washington, D.C., and overcame a lot of odds in her life to get to this point. Well, Ronita, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hey, Megan. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I would love for you to start us off with your childhood. Like, tell us a little bit about that. And what does it mean to like grow up on the tough streets of Southeast Washington, D.C.? Because when I think of Washington, I think, you know, the Capitol, White House, (laughs) all those things, which you wouldn't think of tough streets. But, you know, fill us in. Well, uh, again, thank you for having me. Yeah, I I grew up in Washington, D.C., I grew up in Southeast Washington, D.C. You've never, you're not familiar with Southeast Washington, D.C., uh, but if you Google it, you'll get a whole bunch of reasons why, I, you know. And I tell people that I, I survived Southeast because Southeast is a very, very tough place, you know. It's all, Southeast, D.C. Is, is, is broken down into four quadrants, Northeast, Northwest, Southeast and Southwest pretty much is self-explanatory. Southeast is the the lost quadrant. It's separated by the bridge. Separates Southeast uh, was farmland in early times. And then it became the suburbs in late, I guess, 1800s or something. Uh, The great abolitionist Frederick Douglass built his estate in Southeast. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. It, now, Southeast is a beautiful place. It has the best views of town. From Southeast, I can see the monument, the 4th of July, uh, fireworks, you know, so it's a gift and a curse. But Southeast is a really tough place, you know. It's a lot of poverty. It's a lot of uh, just just depression, you know. you have It's, it's a place where you want to get out or you want to get sucked in. Mm-hmm. That's That's it, you know, so uh, I grew up there and it was it was challenging because even though I, I grew up in an impoverished environment, I was always educated. Thank God to uh, the D.C. public school system. When I was growing up, they had this lottery. They had this. Uh, it was like an open policy. So it didn't matter which neighborhood you lived in. You could go to school across town. Oh, so wow. my mom was. Yeah, my mom was a single mom. And my uncle. He lived on the good side of town, not too far from Capitol Hill, which you're familiar with. And yeah, I in the Navy to... ship or the Navy yard. Where is that located? Because yeah. I've been there. Uh, yeah, that's that's about 10 minutes. Listen, D.C. is a very small place. The <laughs> Navy yard from the Navy yard. You can walk across the bridge now and then you're in southeast. But now ah. southeast is all southeast is all gentrified. So it's like Georgetown. You've ever heard of oh, Georgetown? Gotcha. Yes. Starbucks and coffee shops and outdoor seating, but that there was none of that when I grew up. It was like 
not skid row, but you know, you you don't want to get off on certain places without uh, some protection. You know, yeah. so it's just a it's inner city, tough inner city. Uh, I grew up here. I'm de- educated in DC public schools. Uh, what I did after college wasn't an option for me. I couldn't afford it, and I didn't. Uh, I didn't pay for. I did apply for scholarships. I had a, a person that was going to pay for my college, and unfortunately, he got murdered. <gasps> right. Wow. So that changed the trajectory of my life. And I, I signed up for the University of the District of Columbia. I went there for one semester, but I didn't feel challenged. I felt like I was in high school. I didn't feel like this was going to be the ticket to get me out of poverty. Yeah. So I, uh, I did what most people from urban neighborhoods don't do. I joined the military. I enlisted <laughs> into the army, right? And that was the best thing for me. It was a culture shock, you know. But I, I mean, I would compare it to college. It's almost like college. You go, mm-hmm. you learn a wealth of information and different skill sets. You get to interact with a whole bunch of people from all walks of life, all walks of life, all nationalities. So the, the army was the best thing move for me. And it prepared me for when I returned to the DC area, cause I did four year enlistment in the army. And then I came back and I started uh, pursuing a career in the corporate arena. So I guess that's, that's my little <laughs> spiel. So uh, my spouse uh, also had some military experience and we've had a lot of military affiliated people on the, on the podcast, either they've been in the military or their spouses or things like that. So it's a, it's a no joke sort of thing. People don't realize like they break you down and they mold you. And, you know, uh, did you have any struggles while you were in the military? Did you, you know, deal with any issues? (laughs) Well, you know, like I said, I come from, to be completely honest, I come from an urban environment. D.C. is now very, uh, it's more more diverse. Mm -hmm. But prior to maybe 1990 or early 2000s, D.C. was known as the chocolate city. I mean, so it's like a mecca. This is a mecca for African-American people. Mm -hmm. And and African people. American people that that uh, have stature, you know, because you know. So in D.C., the mayor is black, chief of police is black. You see yourself in these people when you go out. The the higher ups at the government are black, you know. So when I went into the military, it was a culture shock because I had never been around so many other ethnic groups in leadership positions because in school, the principal was black. And so mm-hmm. that's just how DC was. So, so the, uh, excuse me, the army prepared me for diversity. That is one of the best things I learned in the army because I had friends that were from places that I had never even heard of before. Mm-hmm. Hawaiian islands and Samoan. And my roommate was from Belize. I had never heard of Belize. I didn't know what that was. To me, the islands was Jamaica or Bahamas. So I had so much experience. I have a bunch of Hispanic friends. They taught me Spanish. So 
I, you know, the, the, the army was the best thing for me. It gave me a lot of discipline, a lot of structure, a lot of courage, and a lot of uh, self-esteem. I still carry those tools around today. And my friends say, you're militant, Ra. And I say, you know what? I am. Because, you know, the thing about the military teaches you that the mission is the sole responsibility regardless of what else is going on, right? Your mom's sick, I'm sorry. And, I, and, I, and you know, so it's just, so that's how I live my life. Like the show has to go in. I completely, yeah. I completely understand where you're, you're coming from. So I, in a different manner. So I grew up similar to you in a predominantly white though area. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, even today, it's predominantly white, although there there seems to be more uh, diversity in people. And by I say that, that when I grew up, you had no black people in my high school and now you might have five. So really, <laughs> there's more diversity, but there's not like that much more. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I moved to Virginia and it well, I had a culture shock there. And as I said, my, <laughs> my, my spouse has military experience. So in the military community, there's a, there's a more diversity than I was used to. And, and so I felt that too. And um, it really helped me um, open my mind and, and learn more. Uh, I wonder what would have happened to me if I had stayed in that area I grew up in, kind of like most of the people I went to high school with who have very closed-minded views and don't understand mm-hmm. that the world is much bigger than a small mm-hmm. town in upstate New York. So I, yeah, I had a, a similar experience when, <laughs> when I moved to yeah. Virginia and was like, what is going on here? <laughs> and, and, you know, Virginia is... Uh... Virginia has a history of racism, very racist Mm -hmm. past, past. but you know what they have? Virginia has a history of interracial relationships. Like Virginia is the state where loving, loving versus the state of Virginia where there's this interracial couple, they fought to the Supreme Court for, uh, to be married, this white guy and this black woman. So, and, and they have a history of that. So I, it's weird, right? Because they yeah. come, they're so racist. And then it's like, oh, this is slapping your face. We're going to do, you know, it's so it, it, the world is just funny. And, and where we is. lived, it was, uh, it's called Hampton Roads. And so you had like Virginia yeah. Beach, Norfolk, like all, like so many huge cities. So again, I'm from like a very small town in upstate New York. I mean, I graduated with 75 people. (laughs) Very small. And then I come to these cities and these cities have more people in one city than the entire County I'm from. Wow. (laughs) And so I was like, so much, so many people, so much going on. I am very thankful for that experience um, because, you know, it, you like you said, like it really helps you grow as a person to to meet yeah. all these people from different walks of life. And, and understand their way of living, because mm-hmm. like you said, you're from a small town, upstate New York. I, I went I visited. Uh, I was at West Point work. We were stationed at West Point. So I hung out in like Poughkeepsie. That was the closest town to us. I've been to Buffalo, but I've been to New York City. Compared to New York City, those those places are like little towns to me. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mine's even smaller. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Right. Canada adjacent is where I'm from. Okay. The tippy tippy top. But yeah, I've been to New York city too. It should be its own state because it is so different than the rest of New York state. It is just yeah. its own entity. It, it is. And it's a, it's an experience. You have to, you, I don't think that anyone could uh, give a, 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 a identify New York, a, 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 a report on it. You, you, New York is something that you just have to be there. You got to mm-hmm. feel the pulse. And, and if you're not ready, man, it'll suck you in. Yeah, it's a lot. I uh, went for the first time my senior year in high school, which is kind of ironic because people are like, but you're from New York state. I'm like, I'm from like seven hours north. <laughs> wow. Like, it's way up there. Um, so my first time was my senior year in high school and holy crap, there's so much going on. It's so overwhelming. There's so many people and you're just like, whoa, this is how it is every day. Like this wasn't even right. a weekend. This was like a weekday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, I went for a business trip and I was there for four days. Right. I mean, like a New Yorker, I caught the train. I caught, so they have the subway. I caught that. Then something happened with the subway. So my coworker said, I need to check, get on the Long Island, some other subway monorail that they have. And I caught that and it was just get off. I got to walk to work. It's just like, like it's, it's almost like a movie. It's going so quick. And yeah, yeah. But I like New York. I'm a city person. I am. I, I, I live in the suburbs now and I, I feel like I'm the neighborhood watch. See, I'm the I opposite. I, I'm from super rural. So when I lived in Virginia, I was like felt so out of place. And now we live in Connecticut and like a, a relatively small town, but we're we're close to a, a small city. So like access to the things. And I'm like, oh, I miss this so much. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So what other, I mean, you the military gave you a lot of experience and you went into to corporate what did you do in corporate why why are you traveling what are you doing well i did four years in the military mm-hmm. i got out and i pursued in the military i was a medical supply specialist gotcha when i got that transition to the uh you know to the uh regular world as logistics supply chain management. And, and um, I've been working in that arena, which is now government property, personal property management. I've been doing that since I got out of the military for the last 25 years. I've been doing that. Recently uh, in March, I walked away from my big time corporate job. I had a job a few blocks from, your, from the White House. I could literally walk out of my office and be at the White House in five minutes. And uh, I thought that was that was my dream job. Great benefits, great career, no stress. And then all that changed. You know, the job became very stressful. A division shut down. I, I had been tasked with a bunch of taskings that was not my responsibility. But me being a team player, I was willing to adjust and jump in. But the responsibility kept mounting. And I was telling my manager that, hey, this is way too much. And then one day he called, chastising and reprimanding me about some things that I had already told him that was overwhelming me and I couldn't handle it. And I just resigned. Wow. But, you know, so I, I walked away from a six-figure job, mid-range, not, not like 
99,000. You know, I'm yeah. talking mid, close to 150. Yeah. And I, I, didn't, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a bunch of money saved up, but I had had enough. I didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to quit. That was, I thought that I was going to retire from that job. That's the only job I worked at that long. I worked at that place for 10 years. And I thought, I thought, Hey, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm gonna hang out here. And then, yeah. uh, the trajectory changed. So that's was that. that uh, I, was that a difficult decision or was it like, you know what? My mental well-being is, is more important. I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely that because I'm a I'm a thinker and I'm a planner. I've never, ever left a job without having another one, meaning literally I am resigning this day and in two weeks I'm starting another one. Right. I've never that has been my play. Even when jobs I don't like, I've, I would tough it out. But I didn't you know, I had had enough. And what I what I realized once I quit and I decompressed. I said that I had been stressed out a long time, but again, I'm from Southeast. Southeast conditions you to keep on pushing. You cannot give up because you don't want to go back to being poor. So yeah. prior to that, prior to me quitting that job, I was in a very bad car accident. I couldn't oh. walk. Right. And as soon as I was able to go back to work, I went to work. I should have, I shouldn't even been at work. So, I, I mean, I wasn't physically healed. I wasn't mentally healed. I'm, I'm using a, 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 a scooter to get around. I can't, I'm, my mobility is limited. So it was just a combination. And, you know, one thing about it is time. There's a time and a place for everything. So what I do know is that the universe had decided that it was time for me to do something different. And I was okay with it. Yeah. So if this corporation had wanted to hold on to you for those that might be listening who might work in the corporate world what would have been ways that they could have remedied that to retain obviously you were somebody that did a, a good job you've been there for 10 years what what would they have had to change in order for you to stay well i'm going to be honest because this is an inspired women's podcast yeah we want to inspire people right and the corporate world is designed to protect the corporation. Mm. As long as you are doing what they need, and, and it's just like the military, and it's not affecting their mission, you're a good employee. Mm -hmm. I have been a flawless employee. I've never had a writing up. I've never been reprimanded. I've done everything by the book. But the one time when you, the corporate world, my job changed my duties and assignments. Now they hired me to do one thing right. and I've been doing that, doing that great. So this other thing that I'm doing is to help out the team, you know? So, but yeah. it's tricky because I was a director. I could have said, no, I don't want to do that. That's not my area expertise. That's not my arena. So what I would encourage people to do is that if there's something that is not in your contract, that is not in your scope of work, then be confident and be assertive to tell your manager that I'm not comfortable with completing these tasks. I don't have the correct skill set for these tasks. 
but I was at a higher level and I was really trying to be a team player. And, and uh, you know, I, clearly, clearly me being on a team wasn't that important. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I had been there for 10 years. I had got all these accolades from the president of the company every time because I was responsible for sending these big reports to the to the Department of Labor. And we had this big contract. And, oh, I, I was hailed as, you know, we get on the phone with the government. The government is, is threatening us. And I would know all the regulations and the laws and the government have to back down. Oh, I was the goal. Oh, they love me. They come down from the higher office. Because I've never met these people. Oh, you're Ronita Overton. And then when I said, hey, I can't do that. That job's too much. They said, well, you're going to do it. Or you're going to have, you know. And I said, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to say this. I'm Black. Right? And uh, corporate, the corporate, corporate world wasn't designed to have people of non-white people in higher positions. As long as you are a low worker, if you're the trash guy, if you're the mailroom guy, if you're the delivery guy, you're a great person. But when you're starting to, you know, level out with these higher up people and you may not look like them or fit the description of who they assume should be in certain positions, Mm -hmm. you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be. I don't know the word I want to use, but held to different easy. standards. There you go. That, <laughs> see, thank you. That's exactly what it is, you know? So, and I've been in this game for a long time and I see people of color and people of non-white people. There's no other yeah. way to say it. I'm no, not, yeah. You know, and, and I, at my job, the treatment of, of white people is different. Like I have been telling my manager re- repeatedly that this was too much. Right mm-hmm. now, there's a white woman that works at my job, and when she gets upset about anything that they tell her, she goes into rants. She curses people out. She uses profanity. Nobody better not talk to her. Then she won't come to work. She needs personal day off. Oh, and that, and that, and you know what they say? Oh, that's just Tammy. Yeah. But the one time I say that I can't do this, oh, where I'm from, we call that the slave mentality. I was getting off the plantation. There's no other way for me to say it. No, I mean, you're being honest. I'm, I'm for this. <laughs> Can you go? Okay. I am being, I was trying to, I was thinking about, should I say this? But that is the truth. The corporate world for people that are not white is, is like a plantation. You are a good worker as long as you're doing what they want. But if yeah. at any point, at any point you have a question, you can't question authority. Oh, no. So, yeah, so be, be, stand for what you believe in, you know? Because the thing about me quitting the job was this, Megan. I know that I can get another job. They have a bunch of jobs out there with my name on it. I just looked over there the other day. They got jobs that I can do with my eyes closed. I don't even need to interview. I can show up and I know I can take care of it. So that confidence that I have in myself is the reason why I walked away from that job. Now, I got some friends. We're in the same pay rate, not in the same. We work in corporate environments that we do different things. Mm-hmm. And my homegirl, my homegirl makes more than me. She was making like 200K. She makes 200K. And uh, I told her what happened. And she said, you know what, Ra? That's my nickname. She said, I, I commend you because there's no way I would have done that. There's no way I would have walked away from that job 
it paid me too much. I would have, I would have bit my tongue and I would have did what I had to do. And, 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 and I don't, that's how she, that's her morals and principles, but my morals and principles wouldn't allow me to, because I knew that I had done the right thing. And when I do the right thing, I'm going to stand on the side of the right, even if it's, uh, it's not the side that, that's, that everybody thinks. And that's just how I live my life. I'm, you know, I see, I, I look at things from a different lens. You know, that, that guy, Antonio Brown, are you familiar? He just quit his, quit. Okay. No. NFL player. Antonio, oh, okay. NFL player. Something happened on the sideline. He took off his jersey. While the game is in, the game is, they are playing a live game on national TV, NFL. Something happens with him and the coach. This guy took his jersey off, threw it up in the stand, and walked off the field mid-game. And everybody said, Antonio is crazy. And this, that, and the third. And you know what I said? Yes, Antonio, he has freed himself because I have worked in those environments, passive-aggressive environments, where, you know, they push you right there to the limit. But they know the limit because if they go over it, then they have... You know, but it's a mental game. And when yeah. you when you're in a place when you don't see a lot of people in leadership, yeah, it's uncomfortable. Everything that you say is challenged, is 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 ridiculed. Yeah. You know, I go into a meeting, I gotta, I gotta make sure that everything on my notes is tight and there's no misspelling, nothing incorrect. But Johnny comes to every every slideshow he has. Looks like he needs hooked on phonics. Everything is misspelled. <laughs> but nobody says anything to Johnny. But if I put the slideshow up and I misspelled one thing, I'm going to get an email from my manager telling me that I need to double check everything because that's embarrassing to the team for me to have that up there when Johnny has a slideshow with 50 slides and they're all erroneous. But hey, that's just, it's just, and I, I don't want to turn this into a racial thing. I'm just, that's just, the, the truth, my truth. I mean, we have definitely talked about race and racism on this podcast multiple times. Uh, I go to school for psychology. Uh, I, social psychology is what I'm most interested in and uh, specifically stigma, um, stigma against mental illness. But these articles I read talk mm-hmm. about stigma of all sorts of kind of things, you know, race, um, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, all these stigmas that, that come along and, uh, the systems that were put into place a long time ago that yes, we've made some progress, but not enough progress because this stuff is still going on. We're still seeing these stigmas. We're still seeing the stereotype, the prejudice, the discrimination that is going on. And, and how do, how do we change this? You know, and it does, it takes people speaking up and and stepping out. And if you don't see yourself represented in a a company, why would you think that you could, or or in any position, why would you think that you could obtain that? Um, That's why, like, I mean, I don't know your political affiliation. You don't have to tell us, but like when Kamala Harris became vice president, that allowed so many different types of people to be like, ah, I can do that too. Right. Yep. I can do that too. Now we have a woman. Now we have a black woman, a Southeast, or I think it's Southeast Asian woman. I think that's, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, we can see these different um, identities in Kamala 
and it gives people hope. Like even a yes. friend of mine who um, is a staunch Republican, uh, she posted about how she had her daughter watch the inauguration and, and she got a lot of flack by other people she knows, but she was like, I want my daughter to know that a woman can do this job because now yep. you're seeing that a woman is in this position and you could do it. And that goes for any, um, any organization that, you know, if you don't see yourself represented, then it's, it's harder to see yourself as a, a, you know, going higher up, but also it, it, it allows other people to not see you as going higher up, that you're out of place. If you reach a certain level, because people like you don't, you know, that, 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 that is it. That is it. And the thing about America overall, right. I, I was having a conversation with a person and he said something and it resonated with me, right? Because I'm an, I am an advocate for therapy. I've been through a lot of traumatic me things. Me too. <laughs> right? We've all, we all are trying to heal from something or should be healing or working on yeah. it, right? So I am a big advocate for therapy. And my buddy is an advocate for therapy. And he said that, you know, he said something and he said that the reason why America you know, hasn't, we haven't had atonement for everything that's going on. I'm not going to say slavery, everything. Yeah, all there's the a lot. Injustice, <laughs> all the injustice, right? Because America, for one, doesn't want to acknowledge, mm-hmm. Yep. right? Slavery, the institution of slavery, mm-hmm. right? Think about it. The Jewish people, they got the Holocaust Museum. They got all this stuff. They got reparations. They have been acknowledged that they have been treated badly. Yep. America doesn't want to acknowledge that, right? America doesn't want to acknowledge, like people say, slavery ended whatever date that they say, transatlantic slavery, right? meaning that they didn't go to Africa to bring people back anymore, right? But mm-hmm. what nobody, what they left out, right? Is, yeah, that ended in 18, whatever, 70 or six, whatever year, 1776, whatever year they got these years, right? But after they ended that, and and then they have records that they still went over, and, you know, they got records for the last group of slaves that came to South Carolina or somewhere way after they was supposed to stop. But you know what they did? They, what they did was they created slave farms on the plantation with the slaves that they already had. So they made you, they made it people with their parents and their cousins. And you know, they they had this thing where they put a brown paper bag over your head so you would know that you were having sex with one of your relatives. So they bred people like animals and sold them around around the country. They don't Mm -hmm. wanna acknowledge that. Even in the history books right now, they one history book they were saying that, they changed the whole word of slavery saying yeah in Texas something yep. else to workers or something like that and I'm just like no 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 yeah so they I mean as people want to not acknowledge it and, and they want to whitewash it that's yep. a word that is used right mm-hmm. and and it in a corporate environment racism is very I mean, it's, it's, it's white people didn't talk to me at my job. I'm telling you, this guy was the corporate lawyer. Me and him went to pot belly every day, 
two people behind this stuff and this guy never spoke to me. And then one day we had a big meeting with the government. He's counsel for the job. And he, they're talking and all the higher ups are so nervous. So I let the government say, and then I said, well, per regulation, this and regulation that and this, 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 because they had all these rules that, that we had to do it, all these timelines. And I just gave them the information. Do you know this guy that I had went to lunch with, not lunch with, men went to Potbelly every day for two years. After that meeting, this guy came downstairs. Oh my God, I didn't know you were Ronita Overton. I didn't know you were this smart. I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know. Sir, you see me in here every day. So you, you, whatever, you knew that I worked for this company, but you didn't think that I was worthy of even saying hello to your fellow man. So I, I'm, I mean, I'm just, it's this, uh, and I, and that, that's almost like a form of PTSD because when I left out of my house, I was one way. When I got to work, I had to be someone else. And then when mm -hmm. I get off, I go back to my regular living, but I still got to put on this armor to go ahead. And yeah, I got paid a lot of money. I did, cool. But it wasn't worth my peace of mind because I quit. Yeah. So what have you been doing since you quit? Man, <laughs> I quit, right? And when I had quit, I quit. And I, I had started writing my manuscript. I started writing my novel. I had the outline and I was, while I was working in the daytime, I would be writing at night, you know? And, you know, to be honest, leaving that job was in the back of my mind. It just wasn't that early because my friend and I had already started. We wanted to start a trucking company. So we were in the process. I'm writing my novel and we're doing everything to get the trucking business off the road, off the ground. Mm -hmm. And all these things are, this is a lot. And then I'm, you know, working. So I said, you know, eventually I'm going to have to leave that job. So I had already put that play in my mind. I didn't know it was going to be that quick, <laughs> but I quit the job. <laughs> yeah. I quit the job, started writing my manuscript in the middle of writing the book. I'm having a photo shoot and me and my friends, we drink champagne. It's a celebratory thing. I've been poor. So it's like everything that the universe says that poor people can't have, I, I go get, I just, it's just something with me, you know? So we drink champagne. So we had a case of champagne, which is normal. If we're hanging out, it's a bunch of us. And uh, we having a photo shoot and I go up to one of my homegirls and I say, hey, champagne me please. And my, my camera guy, he said, champagne me please too. And I said, I'm gonna make a song about that. I <laughs> never wrote a song. I, I wasn't a rapper. I'm a fan of rap music, but I also, and, and at the photo shoot, everybody's like, champagne me, please. So I'm like, in my mind, I've already written it down in my notes. Oh, I'm gonna make a song about this. So I go home and I'm writing my book and I say, oh, I would say this. I like, I'm gonna say this. And then I just made notes and I'm writing the book. And then once I got the lyrics and, and then I called up a guy that I know, I say, hey, I want to make a song. And I gave him the concept and he knows me personally. He says, you know what? That's going to be a good song. But let me tell you something. People going to want more. So let's make an EP, which is five songs. So I said, how much that cost? He told me the price. I said, okay, cool. So I'm writing a book. I'm writing music. I'm going to the studio. In the middle of that, I write, I make the song. It's on iTunes. We make the video. It's on YouTube. And then we're back to finishing up the book. 
I so love it. I quit that job. Yeah, I quit that job in March. Six months later, I had a book out and music on streaming platforms. Now that should be an inspiration to anybody, right? Yeah. What about the trucking company? Job. What's going on with the trucking well, company? We're still getting some paperwork and logistics, but we're working on it. That is enough. You know, that's a that's it's, it's a lot of it's a lot of it's a lot that goes to get with getting on the road. And yeah. the industry is booming. You know, mm. the trucking industry is going to be the wave for, you know, well, for for the next couple years. You, you never know what's going to. But right now, you see Amazon, every truck outside is delivering something. Yep. Everybody, mom and pop, everybody. So and there's a lot of work out there mm-hmm. because of with the COVID, because of with the uh, transportation, just the it's workers out there. So. What I want to tell the women, don't give up because, you know, what you thought was your destiny probably isn't it because I never thought that I would be doing these things. I've had interviews of four or five interviews. People are calling me when I go out on the street. People know me. Hey, you got that song. I read your book. And I'm like, wow. So, yeah. I understand that a little bit because I've uh, been in the store before and, and had when I lived in Virginia, cause I have a large audience in Virginia. Uh, cause that's where I started it, my podcast. Yeah. And I, I had somebody like overhear me talking to my kids in the grocery store and they came around the corner and they're like, are you Megan Hall? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, you host that's the inspired dope. women podcast. And I'm like, yeah, it was like so surreal. And and then my sister will tell me she'll be talking to people about me and she'll be like, yeah, my sister is the host of the Inspired Women podcast. And I'm like, oh, I listen to that podcast. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> this is so weird. You know what? Podcasts, well, you know, I am the type of person that I, I, don't, I don't like to work in a quiet environment. Yeah. So I, I want to have music going the news on but when I worked at when at when I worked at the job I would listen to a bunch of different podcasts and that was just my thing it's just but I like I like information I like news I like to be in the the know of different subjects so podcasts are a great way to discover but you got to have a special skill set right to to be to listen and intentionally with the podcast because you'll miss it if you're not yeah. really paying attention yeah yeah that's I, I mean I, to, I listen I follow a lot myself so I understand I'm, I don't just podcast I've listened very avidly to podcasts <laughs> yeah it was this this true crime one that I used to follow and they had this whole series about this crime that had got committed in Atlanta or Georgia or somewhere but I was oh my goodness I was all into it and you think about it you're getting all this information and I haven't seen a picture. I don't know how these people live. I don't know how they look, but it's all visual. It's almost like reading a book. It's like someone giving you an, an audio book. It's, yeah. I think it's dope. Yeah. Just dope. I, my uh, spouse listens to audio books and he's like, isn't it the same as podcasting? I'm like, no, podcasting is more conversational. I was like, but yeah, you do imagine what these people look like and, and what's going on. And the funny thing yeah. is, is a lot of times I'll look up the pictures of the podcasters and I'm like, 
your voice does not match your picture. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great way to get information out. It definitely is. But I, like I said, I was into those true crime ones. So I would go to work and, and for six hours, I'm just listening and working. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. Because this one lady, she had adopted all these kids in like Vermont or Wisconsin or somewhere. And they were all like interracial kids. And I think she killed them all. Oh my God. The bus, like drove them off the cliff. Like, you know, and it was just crazy, but yeah. I like to listen. I don't know if you've heard of Bailey Sarian, but she does uh, makeup and she talks about like serial killers and stuff like that. And so I watch (laughs) her videos all the time. Uh, I I have a huge crush on her, but anyways, she'll do her makeup and she'll tell these stories. And I'm just like, this is amazing. I love it so much. That's dope. So uh, what are some of the biggest things that you would want women to know? You've touched on it a little bit throughout this podcast episode about like the things you've learned, but what are the biggest like takeaways you want people to, to have about you, you know, you've had so much experience growing or growing up, you know, in Southeast Washington, DC, where at the time it was a little rough neighborhood going into the military you know, and then quitting your job and, and being like, you know what, I'm going to do me because I'm more important than this yeah. job. Well, I want women to know that this is the title of my book and it's probably a shameless plug. <laughs> no, no. I like shameless plugs as long as it's not like the entire topic of the, the podcast. No. So I want women to know that sometimes the king is a woman that you can be the leader and be bold about it. Be proud about it. Be proud of your accomplishments. I see women out here that are so far ahead of than guys, but because they, because America has trained people to believe that the man should be the leader. The man mm-hmm. should be the smartest person. And sometimes that's just not the case. That's just not the case. I, I've been, I've been kicking ass all my life and I'm a woman and I don't want to be a man. I don't, you know? Yeah. I don't want to be a man either. So, but yeah, so, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I don't want to be a man, but you know, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't want to be a man, but I want you to know that I'm the king, you know, I'm running shit over here. Excuse my French. All this shit. Cuss away. Four or five. Yeah, I got like four or five businesses that I'm running simultaneously. The average man can't do that. The average man can't tie his shoe and chew gum at the same time. I am talking to you on a podcast. I am reviewing my emails, going over something else that I have to do, all while having a complete conversation with you, and I have not missed the beat. So women run the world. Kamala is the vice president. One day we'll have a woman president. I don't know if it's going to be in my time. You know, I don't know. I might not be here to see it, but it's going to be in the books. So don't, you know, you don't have to. I want women to know is that you don't have to dumb yourself down. You don't, and you don't have to bow down. If you the boss, bitch, be the boss, bitch. You know, don't come in here with your head down. You know, every, every, every place I walk in, I got my head held high. If what I am serving 
is not conducive to you, then maybe I'll leave or you'll leave. But I'm still going to be Ronita Overton, the author, the rapper, the person that survived Southeast Washington, D.C., you know? Hey, and, and that's what I want. <laughs> that's, that's what I want them, you know, that's it. You, you know, you're going to put yourself first. If you're not first, then you're last. You teach people how to treat you. And that's, that's it. Sometimes the king is a woman. You're a woman, you're, you know, and people take it out of complex. Everybody's saying, well, the king is a male figure. The king, yes. In society, society has conditioned us to believe that the king is the man, right? But if you know, even on chess, the queen is the most powerful piece on the board, mm-hmm. right? The queen is a powerful piece on the board, right? But sometimes the king is a woman. I'm just saying. That's how I feel. It, it, it offends people. People that have closed minds are offended. Yeah. Open mind people, they're good to go. Even men, they're like, wow, that is a bold title. I've got to read that. That's the whole point. It's, that, it's, it's supposed to be thought provoking. I yeah. want you to say, why? Why does she think the king is a woman? I could have said the queen and put the queen up there. That'd have been boring, right? That'd have been yeah. boring, right? Sometimes the queen is the woman. We, that's boring. You, you're not even going to read that. Right. I'm not going to pick that up. I wrote my book. I made that title. I didn't put myself on the front. I put a picture of a chessboard with the king standing right there. When you go on the airport and you see that book, if you like chess, you're going to say, oh, but it's, it's, it's sometimes the king is a woman. What, let me pick this up and see what this person has to say. I'm a reader. But that's how I feel. I'm the king. I run all this stuff. I run this whole conglomerate. Four or five business. I own a couple properties. Man, a lot of men can't do that. You, you know? And I, and I love guys. I'm not talking bad about I'm not nail bashing <laughs> at all. But I'm just saying. You, you know, you, a guy, most guys can do one thing. Go out there and fix the car. He can do that. But if you call him between him fixing the car and say, can you run to the store because the baby needs some milk? He's going to break down. You know I can't do that. You told me to fix the car. What you want me to do? You want me to be at two places at one time? Right? A woman ain't going to do that. She's going to put that shit down. She's going to get in the car. She's going to go get the milk, bring it back, put it in the goddamn baby bottle, shake it up, feed the baby. She might put the baby in the stroller and come fix the goddamn car with the baby sitting right there. Right? Right. And the right. world expects you to do that as a woman. You don't, get, you don't get no days off. If you got a kid, you need to get Johnny to school. You need to get to work. You need to figure out lunch. You need to figure out dinner. You need to figure out laundry. Shoot. My, my sister called me. Oh, she got a laundry list of responsibilities over there. She got a damn husband. All she say, he don't know how to do nothing. She got to tell him what to do. Baby, I'm sick. When I get sick, I call the doctor. Her husband, my hand been tingling for three days. Why are you sitting here if your hand's tingling? You right. should be at the urgent care. But men don't even have the wherewithal to think that. Oh, I'm going to wait to see if it tingles for three more days. <laughs> hey. <laughs> right? <laughs> Am I lying, Megan, right? Oh, man. A guy will you. sit right here. A guy will sit right here. I mean, finger almost is green, everything. He keep washing it, thinking it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better. 
So yeah, you know, it's, that's that. <laughs> I love and it. I, and you, <laughs> and you usually at the end, I'm like, what do you want to leave the audience with? And I feel like you just did it. So that was, the, uh, <laughs> what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? Like, <laughs> that was hey. great. Well, Ronita, awesome. we are up on time. Um, thank you so much for coming on the Inspired Women podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. This was very light and enjoyable conversation. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.